Hello and welcome to Euractiv's AgriFood podcast. I'm Gerardo Fortuna. And I'm Natasha Fett. And here's your weekly update on all things agriculture and food in the EU from Euractiv's AgriFood team. So this week has been the week of the pesticides, I'd say. It's all been, you know, all news about pesticides, biopesticides, plant control. So sounds um, a bit groomy, yeah, if you say the week of... Uh, yeah, I thought, as I said that, I thought, yeah, that's that sounds a little bit, yeah, maybe a bit negative. But what I mean is there's been a whole bunch of movements and different interesting news all about pesticides. So I guess it started next, uh, when was it, last Friday? Uh, we so had, it wasn't this week. Well, okay, but within the frame, this is inaccurate, yeah. within a seven-day period from this day. Good, good save, good, good save. save. <laughs> exactly. Plus, we didn't get a chance to talk about it on last week's podcast because it came late. I mean, it didn't come late, but I mean, it came after the, the recording. But anyway, what am I talking about? We had a leak of <laughs> our favorite word. We should have a jingle for the leak. Like, uh, like a... Lee, or no. no, some boo sound like something like jazz hands, like yes, yeah, Lee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. Okay, we can something to work on maybe. Yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, we, we are in leak. in uh, in um, phase of uh, you know thinking about how to restructure and and improve the podcast. So that's why we're we're sharing with you our uh, you know. Our, thoughts uh, as we go <laughs> yeah indeed it could be something yeah, we could also go on twitter and ask about this it's true. Right, anyway go but ahead if anyone so, has any feedback you know you feel free yeah, to let indeed, us know. Indeed. No, we have some feedbacks uh, quite frequently from uh, our listeners yeah uh but yes maybe now we can start sharing with us uh, your suggestions uh, mm. yeah feel free can... get in touch absolutely don't absolutely. be shy anyway back to this leak what was this about gerardo yeah, it was about the, um, of course, the revision of the sustainable use of pesticide directive, mm. which is expected uh, uh, to be to be unveiled by the Commission in March, the twenty third of March. Um, this is according, of course, the the Commission uh, work program. There could be delays, but actually, since it's quite big as a topic. Uh, I think they're gonna um, meet the deadline. So, uh, as you know, the flagship, the EU's flagship food policy, the Farm to Fork strategy, uh, include this ambition to slash the use and risk uh, of chemical pesticides in half. Um, and and of course, I mean, this is uh, the Farm to Fork strategy is about a political ambition. Uh, when it comes to putting pra- into practice. Uh, this ambition, uh, we need uh, hard laws, and in this case, uh, we're talking about the revision of an er- already existing uh, and sometimes also um, contested um, piece of legislation. Yeah, mm-hmm. piece of legislation which is the Sustainable Use of Directive. Actually, I would like to start from uh, some sort of uh, mea culpa from the Commission because in the in the mm, in the yeah, in this leak that we've received, um, the commission says that the sustainable use of pesticide directive has only been moderately effective uh, when it comes to uh, the big game of re- uh, the big uh, goal of reducing uh, the risks and the impacts of pesticide use uh, on human health and on in the environment, and in particularly. Um, 
the Commission identified some weaknesses in the implementation of the suit so far, like uh, particularly on the integrated pest management. I know that uh, Natasha has uh, uh, a focus on this uh, on this integrated pest management. What is about? Well, is this idea? Um, I mean, it's kind of like a, a whole concept of trying to. It's basically about how you can reduce as much as you can your reliance on chemical pesticides. And there's a whole series of different things you can try in a certain hierarchy, you know, with chemical pesticides being kind of like the last ditch attempt. And then there's like a whole kind of, yeah, a whole kind of list of different things that you get through different techniques and strategies and different things that you can do. It's an ecosystem-based strategy. Um, and it basically works much more on prevention as well than like, you know, so uh pre- prevention rather than re- reaction to problems so trying to prevent pests from being a problem in the first place and then kind of like moving into um you know last last resorts of using chemicals um and ipm you know actually applying I- ipm integrated pest management um principles is already a mandatory part of the sud um but actions on ipm from member states have been really slow support has been very lacking actually there was this report from the eu court of auditors um i think back in february 2020 um saying there's been you know really limited progress mostly because actually we can't really measure um the risks and so therefore you can't really reduce the risk you don't really know what's going on there's been a lot of criticism about um the way that ipm has been implemented by member states the way that it's been supported or not supported um and so obviously there's a big push on uh, on ipm in this sud leak the draft that we got um so there's there's kind of like a, a multi-pronged attack <laughs> outlined in the uh, in the draft um to try and support and uh um, increase the use of IPM across the EU. Um, things like electronic records for professional users, um, this IPM register that they're talking about, um, as well as basically the requirement for each member state to establish crop-specific rules. Um, and each member state can do that, you know, depending on its own circumstances. Um, and so, yeah, but it kind of received quite mixed reactions you know uh, a lot of civil society players still saying this doesn't really go far enough there's not enough mandatory mentions of certain practices um or things they say that are very like basic and very cost effective things like long-term crop rotation using resistant varieties mechanical weeding etc etc these were still not listed as mandatory in this draft so there was still a lot of criticism about the way that it approached ipm and um, not only ipm but also other uh, aspects uh, are uh, are basically um, the reason why it is difficult to conclude on the extent to which the suit directive has better protected human health from the adverse effects of pesticides. This is a, mm. quite wo- a strong wording from the Commission itself. And in order to reverse the situation, they're proposing um, two um, targets, um, EU-wide uh, binding, uh, which are legally uh, binding uh, sorry legally binding legally binding legally binding although it's a bit of uh, you know when it comes to legally binding measure in, in at european level it's always um more complicated than that mm-hmm. there are this 50 percent uh, pesticide reduction target for both risk and use but it's true that member states 
may deviate from this uh, 50% level uh, according to fixed derogation, let's say, um, following the parameters uh, uh, setting in a set in a binding formula. Um, so just right, to it's more complicated than it sounds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's let's make it easier. Um, without derogation, member state could deviate and lower um, their uh, reduction targets um, to maximum thirty five percent. Right. With derogation, uh, they can lower their targets uh, to 25%. Mm. So, of course, it's about defining this kind of derogations, but we can say that um, at the EU level, uh, this, is the pro- this is a proposal, of course, uh, and it's not even uh, sure that, they, that uh, this will be the final one that the Commission will uh, unveil uh, sure. uh, in March. But uh, the idea is to have this 50% EU legally, like on average at EU level, and then a 25% considering derogation at the member states level. Mm. Uh, it's going to be an interesting kind of circle to square if so we're aiming for a 50% overall reduction in the EU but then member states can go down as low as 25% so it's going to be quite hard to figure that all out you know, yeah this is a problem yeah it's, it's I mean, a it's problem. Not my problem <laughs> but, no, 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 it's, it's, um, it's not new this kind of uh, strategy I remember there mm. was um, a similar uh, system of targets uh, in the uh, re- uh, red directive, the red two, so mm. the renewable energy directive. There was um, a new wide uh, binding uh, target, and uh, and um, there and there were derogations and like a real target at the national uh, level, which was super. Uh, was already considered as controversial, and indeed the fifth for fifty-five uh, package is already changing the situation. So, uh, doesn't prove to be. It didn't prove to be particularly um, helpful or uh, cl- more clear. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are also interesting uh, other interesting aspects uh, in uh, in the leak, like for instance the um, the ban. The proposal of an ambitious ban of all chemical pesticides in sensitive areas. For sensitive areas, we mean uh, public parks, uh, mm. gardens, urban green areas. This is a quite um, yeah, that's um, interesting. Yeah, yeah, super interesting. It's also something that uh, um, NGOs are also advocated for in the past. Mm. But it's true that actually, like you don't necessarily think about pesticides being sprayed in your cities. You know, well, Mm. lots of people I talk to really associate it heavily with farms and somewhere outside the city, but a lot of pesticides are sprayed on our streets, um, you know, to stop, especially if you think about in Brussels, there's all the cobbled streets, so they're stopping the weeds Mm. coming through through the pavements or on the kind of green strips on the side of the road in all the parks where, um, you know, we, we don't really think about that kind of thing necessarily or indeed, indeed. Don't necessarily think about it. Um, but it's true. There's a lot, a lot of pesticides sprayed in cities. So that's actually quite interesting. I think. Um, we've, we've, this is an, an anecdote. Uh, we've recently been at the European parliament and there are some trees inside the building 
and we and we we saw this kind of uh, little piece of paper uh, about the. It was like a little sachet, actually. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, a yeah. Pouch. And we were like, okay, we're going we're going to do the the super scoop, uh, <laughs> saying that exposing the parliament using pesticides and. Uh, uh, chemical pesticide for uh, their trees, and actually they use they use uh, biological pesticides. biological pesticides. Yeah. So yeah, yeah th- this I should have really. Uh, next time we go in, I'll take a proper photo and we'll see exactly yeah, what they're using. Yeah. This, this is again, this is um, the chronicle of a failure, like uh, a potential story that um, when when you actually go there and and and, and check. Uh, no, I didn't check every tree, you know. So yeah. Okay. Well, I mean. We can we can just an afternoon well spent. Uh, yeah, I think. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, unfortunately, no, unfortunately, of course, it's uh, it's uh, unfortunate. No, <laughs> of course not. Uh, <laughs> but there's there was also an interesting uh, um, another interesting. Yeah, speaking of biofacity. Yeah, there uh, there you was, go. that was a good <laughs> segue. There was an interesting development. It's this like week. we planned it, Gerardo. <laughs> yeah, there was an interesting development and one that is not a leak and not a draft one that actually is uh is completely confirmed basically member states this week have approved a new um new rules to accelerate the approval and authorization of biological plant protection protection products um so we're talking about here uh products that are containing microorganisms um and the idea is basically to reduce reliance on chemical pesticides again in the same vein as we were talking about with the farm to fork strategy um so yeah the so there were four approved legal acts they're designed to uh, ensure that these new biological solutions um, are put on the market significantly faster Um, and for a little bit of background basically stakeholders have been saying for a long time that these biological pesticides um, basically they were following they were being regulated following the same regulatory path as chemically active chemical substances Um, and stakeholders have criticized this for a long time saying you know this is not appropriate it's not um you know it's hampering basically the uh, adoption of these you know getting these biological solutions onto the market it's really maladapted regulation um and so it means that it's not really living up to its full potential um and so yeah this is basically the commission's response to this trying to address this and trying to make sure that uh, these new acts are kind of as up to date with the latest biological and uh, scientific uh, knowledge on these microorganisms um to try and kind of speed it up and, and get them get them approved as quickly as possible and i think you know this is broadly welcomed by stakeholders although um i did also speak with uh, the international biocontrol manufacturers association who did actually point out that they they, they still thought saw, saw some kind of fundamental problems with um the proposals um and you know they were saying that actually there's more that needs to be done to fast track these uh, biological plant protection products and this week we're happy to welcome back to the podcast our very own julia dam welcome hello. back again julia hello how are you doing i'm good what an introduction. We... Yulia Dam. Yulia Dam. Da, 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 da. Oh, that's quite good, actually. You could have your own theme tune. I like that. Yeah, I like, da, da, I like da, da. wrestling, you know. <laughs> yes. It's not exactly... <laughs> yeah, okay, sure. Yulia, <laughs> well, you've had a pretty uh, exciting week, no? Uh, yeah, I actually got to travel a bit. I went to Strasbourg at the beginning of this week, um, where the agri-ministers and also commissioner met for the informal meeting hosted by the French presidency of the Agriculture Council. Mm-hmm. 
Um, That's pretty exciting. Was it the first? I think it's the first time you travel for Euroactive, thanks uh, to the pandemic. Yes, definitely. I mean, it's I've nice come to, to Brussels, be. but uh, it's the first time I've gone anywhere where stuff happened. Uh-huh. So are you nice going to tell again. us? Are you going to tell us what minister ate during the ministerial <laughs> meeting? Right. This is basically the the whole thing. You know, we're, we're basically commenting on what they ate. The menu. Yeah. How <laughs> political it is. All of the undertones. We, we we always do this pan on what's on the menu when it comes to the policy aspect. But actually, finally, we're going to talk about what's what was on the menu for real. <laughs> Or not. I know. I assume mm. that you, well, you had other topics uh, that uh, the minister <laughs> discussed, no? Well, I mean, we definitely had some shukut, which is a, an oh. Alsatian specialty, so that was, uh, that was quite fun. Very nice. Um, I'm a big fan, actually. Of what? Of shukrut. Of ah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's, of course. It's nice. Of course. No, of no, course. no. It's, it's not of course, not of course. <laughs> <laughs> And there, so was, uh, yeah. there was wine and beer at lunch, which I think is also maybe a bit of a French thing or a strategic thing to loosen up tongues. Or, uh... Ooh, yeah, I was thinking it sounds strategic, but also it is true that it's the French presidency. So I feel like yeah. wine is a kind of must, no? Well, but even beer, I mean, the, the Alsace re- region. Yeah, apparently it's, it goes with uh, yeah. Chicot. There you yeah, go. Yeah. Well, that's all you need to know from the agri-fish. No, <laughs> that's all. <laughs> and that's all that's from, from us. us <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, just joking. Okay, so, Yulia, yeah, what would, what would tell us what happened at the agri-fish? Yeah, what so, were uh, the most interesting kind of themes that came up, in your opinion? On the menu um, for them uh, was carbon farming. Um, uh-huh. So, France's minister, Julien de Normandie, had put this on, on the agenda. It's like the big topic that they want to talk about. Um, so basically carbon farming is about uh, farming practices that capture carbon from the atmosphere in the soil. So they actually create carbon sinks um, and the EU is in the process of developing a, um, an EU-wide framework on this. The Commission is supposed to come up with something by the end of the year. So this was basically France's try to prepare a common position between the member states. So they um, had some on-site visits of a farm who was already using um, a voluntary carbon, uh, carbon farming system in France to show a bit to the other ministers how it already works in France. So basically the first day um, de Normandie used to show how well everything is already working for them and how that would be a great model actually to implement at the EU level as well. And then the next day they sat together and talked about it. Uh, in order to prepare a composition, so which they was, want to adopt uh, in March or April, probably. So, what was the so so what did this kind of model entail? I mean, how do you have an idea of how it kind of worked for this farmer? Did you get a chance to ask a little bit more? Yeah. So, what they do in with this model in France is basically it's a um, it's a system that's set up by the state, but it's still a voluntary system. Um, that some farms participate in, and this farm that we visited uh, was a dairy farmer who participates in it. Um, so basically, he works together with with this organization called the uh, France Carbon Carbon Agri, who certify uh, measures that he does in order to stock carbon in the soil. So in this case, as a dairy farmer, this entailed, for example, 
um, having his cows graze on uh, grasslands. Um, and then this organization comes and checks what he's doing um, regularly, checks up on the measures that he does, uh, whether he's actually um, keeping to uh, to what he's supposed to do. And they also help the farmer in identifying what what he or she could do on their farm um, with the specific specificities that they have. So they um, they help them and then they come back regularly to check if they're doing what they're promising to do. And if they do, they will issue some carbon uh, certificates to them. So basically they'll have certificates that say, okay, we stocked carbon from the atmosphere, we, we reduced carbon, and then they can sell these certificates to companies and other sectors who are trying to improve their carbon footprint. So actually, for example, um, banks, uh, different ones, even um, Chanel uh, um, participating in it in France. Very French. (laughs) So basically, they're buying these these certificates, offsetting their own emissions against them so that they can claim to be carbon neutral or be closer to being carbon neutral. And that way Mm -hmm. also funding comes in for for the farmer to do the measures that he's doing. And in this case, it was also a young farmer. So uh, for young farmers, they especially support them. And he actually got all of the measures that he was doing funded by the system from the get-go. So he didn't have to put in any money himself. And this farmer, I mean, he, you know, he was actually, it sounds like he was very supportive of this kind of system. I mean, did he kind of give an indication of how much help it was giving him, like financially, like what kind of benefits he was Getting yeah, he it? was definitely because um, for him, um, basically all of the measures that he was doing were paid for, but the measures also benefited him because they also helped improve the efficiency and efficacy of his uh, dairy farm. So the cows produce more dairy and all that. So he actually got more output out of his farm without having to make an additional investment. Um, so for him, this is he was very very positive about it, very supportive. Um, and actually, we also heard a bit from um, Kopa Kojeka, who were also um, at the meeting, so the EU farm representatives. And they were also very supportive of this specific system because it, um, they found that it's uh, easy to implement for farmers, doesn't create too much red tape, and gives them enough support. Not the first time they're, uh, they're present in an informal meeting. I'm talking about the... Uh, agriculture, uh, the farmers' uh, lobby. Although uh, this time there was also the NGOs were granted like a okay. last minute. Yeah. Ah, okay. Okay. Like a last minute peace kind yeah, of agreement. Yeah. They were. They, they weren't were like, in the official program, but they were there in the end. Yeah, okay. but it was a very last minute thing. Like like the Sunday. Like I think it started on the Monday. Like the Sunday. Um, I heard that some of them were like leaving last minute because they were allowed to go all of a sudden um so there's yeah. some intense lobbying there to let them go yeah. um, especially because they actually had some different thoughts on uh, on this whole system so it's something that farmers like very much the french uh, model that they're already implementing um but environmentalists that i talked to told me that it's um this concept of uh, other companies buying these certificates to offset their own emissions is a bit problematic because the um the carbon farming reduces emissions or captures carbon in a natural way where it's not really clear for how long the carbon will stay in the soil and how durable it's going to be. So it's not 
really equivalent to um, emissions, uh, positive emissions from other companies that will stay in the atmosphere for a long, long time. That's that's what uh, what they told me about this. So their main issue with kind of permanence of this, and maybe adding in some kind of greenwashing as well. Yeah, into yeah. This. If we're starting talking about big companies like banks, Chanel. <laughs> yeah. Um, Exactly. Kind of into this and also the other thing was that um, if you take the example of this dairy farmer, he increased the efficiency of uh, of his system by, uh, by implementing these measures, which is good uh, in itself. But then, I mean, by doing so, he can invest more money and into getting more cows who will produce more emissions again. So in the end, bottom line, he might actually be producing more emissions than he was. He's also producing more dairy. but. Um, that was also one of the criticisms of uh, the NGOs that um, if you really add it all up, it might actually lead to more production and therefore some more emissions. That's interesting. That's some oh, it's it's interesting because yeah, it's moving the focus uh, more on calculation and how to put into practice this. Uh, I mean, sometimes it appears like a very complex um, concept, no? So it's also good to to know how it is applied on the ground. And actually, because there are different models too. Eh? Uh, but Julia, actually, um, it's not only about carbon farming. You also had the opportunity to uh, meet the new German minister, German agriculture minister, right? Um, how it happened? You basically blocked him before uh getting the farm or you yeah, actually, yeah. Had a, actually uh, a real conversation he was just coming out of the stables on this dairy farm okay. where all the ministers were posing for photos he locked the, the door locked him in uh, yeah, yeah i cornered him next to the cows basically wow that's quite an quite a story yeah but uh what did he say basically um so we talked a bit about apart, the camp. apart from uh, leave me, leave me, let me go. <laughs> um, well, he we talked with the, about the camp proposals, and he actually also had some concerns about greenwashing, similar to what the NGOs said. Which um, he's a, he's from the Green Party, so um, maybe that's an, um, not so surprising that he has the same concerns. Um, but in general, he was very supportive. And then we talked a bit about uh, the German coalition and the kind of tricky topics that they're having issues with, one of which is uh, gene editing. So you have him, the Greens on the one hand, who've always been very against gene editing, and then you also have the Liberals, who are very pro-tech, pro-using um, these new technologies. So they're very pro, and um, he basically told me that they haven't found a common position yet. And the same goes for how to finance more animal welfare. They uh, haven't found a common position either because... Um, Basically, the Greens, the agricultural ministry, wants to fund this and help farmers, support farmers in um, raising animal welfare standards. But at the same time, the Liberals have uh, put, well, they've promised their voters to not raise taxes. So personally, I don't really see where the money, where the extra money should come from without levying any additional tax. So that's something that I still haven't solved. And um, yeah, if you read between the lines where he said a bit, he seemed a bit frustrated about it. He was like, yeah, if everyone always says what's not possible, then we're not going to get anywhere. So yeah, let's see if they if they manage to make any progress on that. And it's interesting they're so, div so divided on 
um, well, fairly predictably provided on the controversial issue of gene editing and also animal welfare. But obviously, both of these things are high on the EU agenda at the moment. You know, there's the review of uh, the EU's rules on gene editing. There's animal welfare is a huge theme. And so obviously, Germany can actually hold quite a lot of sway on these things. So mm-hmm. it's very interesting to see which way they're going to fall on on these issues, because it could have a quite a big influence uh a wider influence yeah, yeah actually definitely. actually germany uh, started the debate on for instance animal welfare labeling uh, yeah. under the german pre- but even before the german presidency um there's always been this this focus on animal welfare because i mean it 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 is perceived as an opportunity for businesses also i mean it's, of course it's also for ethical and environmental concerns but it is, there are also a lot of uh, um possibilities for uh, german businesses uh, when it comes to for instance the, ampl- the implementation of the animal welfare labeling uh since i'm a very old fashioned guy uh, i like uh, indeed uh, to talk about this traditional topic um concerning the food policy so basically labeling uh, there was also a, a particular request from austria uh julia can you tell us a bit more about this yeah the whole story was a bit uh a bit awkward maybe um basically on tuesday when we're waiting for the doorsteps of the ministers and waiting for them to then go on to their meeting and discuss carbon farming the austrian minister came up and talked a lot not about carbon farming but about uh, origin labeling for animal products so a label that says which country a product is from. Um, out of the blue. Out of the blue. She basically um, put the put the issue on the table and told journalists that uh, she would discuss this with the other ministers um, during their meeting, that she'd already bilaterally discussed it with the German minister, with the French minister, um, and that this is an issue that the commission must tackle immediately which already was a bit um, confusing to all of us because the commission is going to table a draft on it by the end of the year anyways. I was just about to say, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but it was very important to her. Um, right. And, yeah. I love so- these curveballs that you get yeah. as journalists. <laughs> like when you go up to someone and you're thinking, yeah, I know what we're, I know what we're talking about here, you know, or at least the broad like theme. And then it's just like out of nowhere, these random themes you have to deal with. I love these moments. Yeah, it was basically that. And it, it was a curveball to all the other ministers as well, apparently, because afterwards, when I asked the German minister about it, uh, when he came for his doorstep, uh, he was he talked about it, he responded to my question, but he he was like, yeah, but the, the Austrian minister is going to discuss this at the at the next meeting, not at this one, no? Um, and, and I was like, well... So she, she hadn't discussed it with them? Yeah, and also after the... Um, after the meeting, we asked uh, um, the French minister who chaired it um, during the press con- final press conference. And when he was asked about it, at first he didn't he didn't know what what we were talking about at all. He thought we were talking about labeling regarding carbon farming. Uh, he was super surprised. It took like several attempts of explaining until he realized what we meant. Well, at least and, you you weren't the only one that was confused. You know, definitely everyone was confused. Um, yeah, and he he said multiple times how he was very uh, astonished and surprised at this uh, advance, and that they definitely had, 
hadn't discussed any of that during the meeting because the topic was indeed carbon farming. Um, this this was a bit the the cintura negra of this agrifish council, basically. No? So, uh, uh, the <laughs> the topic not related to the agenda, but it uh, was put uh, on the table by the, the confused journalist, yeah. aka at least, so two, I, I two, at least two journalists. <laughs> I'm mentioning cintura negra because we put in the title of the of the podcast cintura negra. Then the return of cintura negra. So now we could uh, oh, put again the cintura negra. Revelation, you know, something like that. I'm lucky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The oh, Cintura Negra, and then we put uh, three, like uh, <laughs> like a movie. Okay, Julia, thanks for for your time. Of course, stay with us because we have uh, a new segment. That's Very the, special, yeah. New segment. So stay with us and uh, speak to you soon. So we're very excited to welcome you all to our new segment of the week, the flavor of the week. Uh, so this segment we're going to do each week, we're going to have a little look at uh, an interesting food stuff, something a little bit unusual, something, you know, just a curiosity. Uh, we're going to have some fun facts for you all about uh, this food stuff. And this week, what's our first flavor of the week, Gerardo? Uh, there's uh, we're talking we we will be talking about cinnamon, uh, mm, cinnamon so and uh, spicy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Sugar, spice, and everything nice. Exactly. Yeah, as, as you as you. That's like us, the three of us. <laughs> yeah, Julia is still <laughs> there. Huh? Uh, she disappeared, <laughs> and uh, yeah, Julia, tell us uh, a bit more about cinnamon. Yeah, let's dive right into it. Uh, so. For those who don't know, who haven't maybe eaten it themselves, in Europe, uh, cinnamon is most often used to spice up stuff like desserts, breakfast cereal, hot drinks, or in pastries like cinnamon buns. Mm, I love I just cinnamon like, buns. Yeah. Um, or just to generally give your food a Christmassy vibe, if you so choose. Um, it's actually made from the inner bark of a certain tree species, which is also called cinnamon. Um, so basically the cinnamon sticks that uh, you might know are rolled up strips of that bark um, and yeah, if it crazy doesn't crazy that it comes from bark I always yeah, find that I always find tree. that really interesting <laughs> yeah I know it's crazy um, and otherwise it can also come as a powder but actually that's a bit um, the powder is a bit uh, easier for producers and uh, sellers because it's easier to control the ingredients and control their compliance with the regulations than if you just take the bark. Um, which gets important if you talk about importing it into the EU, for example, which is, as we know, quite elaborate standards on many things. Um, and the EU actually imports a lot of cinnamon. It imported four, 14,000 tons in 2019. So cinnamon is number six on the list of uh, spices that the EU imports. And the biggest share of this came from Indonesia, uh, 43% of what the EU imported. Uh, but other big producers are also China, Vietnam, and Sri Lanka. So these four together actually make up the lion's share of world exports in cinnamon, almost 90% in 2020. So that's three really top cinnamon countries. And this offers me a good segue, uh, particularly this reference to, to Sri Lanka, because last week, 
the EU included uh, Ceylon cinnamon as a product, protected geographical indication. So basically, uh, one of the strongest protection for foodstuff in the EU. And it was the first product from Sri Lanka um uh to 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 uh, enter in this special list and it was quite curious as has been uh, pointed out by uh peter ungpakorn a trade expert who worked at the wto secretariat for 10 years uh and in a series of tweets uh, he recalled how in 20 um, 2005, Sri Lanka raised an issue at the WTO level, uh, complaining that the EU was reducing exports to the European market of uh, Ceylon cinnamon because it contained uh, sulfur dioxide, which is used as a preservative or, or as an anti-browning agent. Uh, and this ban actually lasted uh, not for a long time um, until an an international standard for cinnamon uh, was established and approved in July uh, 2006. So this is a bit of an, an agri fairy tale from, from a banned product to a protected uh, product. That's beautiful. In yeah, absolutely. That's a know. beautiful journey. The, <laughs> from, from, uh, from zero to... Inspiring. From zero to... Yeah, absolutely. Oh, zero to hero. That's a great Hercules song anyway i also have some fun facts for you who wants some fun facts you want some fun facts about cinnamon definitely thanks Celia, for your support thank you um well for a long time actually and also it was still quite mysterious to me clearly in this podcast but for a long time it was quite mysterious to europeans where cinnamon actually came from um so during medieval times spice traders actually kept its origin as a secret a trade secret basically to control the market and that made cinnamon really valuable. So it was once actually so highly prized as a commodity that it was more valuable than gold. Imagine. Another fun fact is that it was used in ancient Egypt to embalm mummies. Um, yeah. And besides preserving people, um, it's also been used for century as a, centuries as a food preservative, as well as a flavor enhancer and also a medicine for colds and digestive problems. Although... Uh, recent studies haven't really found many significant health uh, benefits. Um, but it is also true that in large quantities it can be toxic. So I don't know if you guys remember that a few years ago there was this kind of cinnamon challenge that was going around on social media. I don't know if I'm just portraying my age right now, but like people would try and take a spoonful of cinnamon, which is obviously horrible because it's a very intense flavor. Um, but people actually ended up in like emergency care because of that. There was even one, one person even died from that. So, I mean, that's not a very fun fact. Wow. That's just a fact. But well, What kind of people you hang out with? I mean, I didn't know them personally. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Be careful to write friends on social media yeah. and actual friends. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Strange danger. They, they, they may Indeed. have a, a strong influence. Uh, yeah. Don't do things people tell you to do on the internet, I think is the moral of the story here. No, no, actually, thanks to the Flavor of the Week for letting me know about this. And I would <laughs> very <laughs> think, think twice when someone would offer me a cinnamon challenge. Yeah, yeah. You're welcome. Thank you. 
And this week is a week of full of new experiences for you all because we also have a, a new section that we're introducing to the podcast and that is taking a look at the agri-food news from the capitals. So each week we're going to be looking at uh, some of the main news that's come from our network partners and from across the across Europe, things that are happening in different member states. And actually there's been some interesting uh, developments in Slovakia this week to do with the CAP strategic plans. Um, but I'm going to pass over to our Euraxia Slovakia correspondent Marian Koren, who's going to tell you um, all about what's going on in Slovakia. So last week, the Minister of Agriculture announced that he would finally include a strategic plan for the government meeting. In general, the legislative process in our country works in such a way that the responsible minister submits such an important material for final approval to other members of the government only when he is sure that he really has the general support of the cabinet. Therefore, it was expected that the approval of the strategic plan will be just a legal technicality or formality, after which Slovakia will finally send it to the European Commission. That is why it was very surprising when, when not only one, but several ministers immediately blocked the approval. And it was also clear from the reaction of the Minister of Agriculture that he did not expect this himself. Uh, these ministers said that they need more time to study the document. Some of them even talked about weeks. And so it was even more surprising that they met again uh, the next day and this time they gave the document the green light. I have to say that the whole process was quite odd because the ministers did not specify at all the reasons why they did not endorse the strategic plan. The only exception was the Minister of the Environment, which was not surprising as his ministry from the beginning had the most reservations regarding the plan as the minister called for strict rules for farmers in protected areas and for stronger soil and biodiversity protection. And when the plan was surprisingly approved the next day, uh, it was also very strange. Um, the Ministry of Agriculture was not able to explain exactly how he conv convinced his colleagues from the government to change their minds so quickly. Uh, but from the way I perceive this situation, the most logical explanation for this express approval, uh, as, well as, as well as for those communication misunderstandings, is that the government simply had to act very flexibly because the European Commission is pushing hard it to send the strategic plan to Brussels for, for consideration as soon as possible, since Slovakia is one of the very last countries to do so. Uh, but I must say that after all, this is there is conf confirmed general satisfaction with the final proposal, which is almost a miracle given the circumstances. Uh, despite the hectic process, the ministry managed to put together a compromise with which almost all agricultural associations, environmental organizations are happy or satisfied, which also doesn't happen very often here in Slovakia. So I'm very eager to see what will be the response of the European, European Commission to this document. And then we have from Greece coming some juicy drama from the Agriculture Ministry. Uh, basically, Greece has been having a series of bad luck uh, with its agricultural ministers getting caught in drama. So first, the previous uh, agricultural minister, Spilius Livanos, was sacked by the um, prime minister after there was a little scandal surrounding a video that appeared on social media 
where he was laughing over comments about the 2007 wildfires, which had killed 84 people. So not a That's good look. Very poor form. Um, <laughs> yeah. So he was sacked. Um, he's gone, but then there's a new one. And he already kicked off with another little faux pas. So uh, the new one's called uh, Georgios uh, Georgiantas. I probably butchered the pronunciation, but um, this guy uh, was also in a video that appeared. Seems to be a, a series there. Um, where he was seen basically talking about how people in the country owed his party votes for giving them benefits, appointing them to positions in the public sector and stuff like that. Um, so now the opposition again is demanding that he should be sacked. And we'll see if that's going to happen and how many ministers Greece has to go through until it finds one <laughs> who sticks. <laughs> And we moved to Italy. Uh, there was quite the big news um, about something that will happen next week because the government is going to present their uh, nutritional labeling scheme, the Nutriform battery, uh, which was conceived in open defiance of the French uh, Nutri-Score. Uh, the Nutriform Nutri is based on a battery power symbol which shows the consumer the nutritional contribution in relation to their daily needs as well as the correct dietary style. Uh, fun fact, it won't be presented at the, at, the, at the Agriculture Ministry, but at the Foreign Affairs Ministry, which is meaningful and, uh, and can give a bit of a taste of how sensitive is the uh, lobby, lobby action of Italy on this matter. Um, and this actually, um, this presentation uh, happens one week after a controversial tweet from the uh, let's say, the inventor of the Nutri-Score, the French uh, nutritional labeling system, uh, Serge Herbert, who proposed to mark alcoholic beverages with an F uh, colored in black, uh, which triggered harsh, harsh reaction by the Italians. Uh, the curious thing is that the F should be displayed not only for alcoholic beverages, but, but for everything that contains alcohol, basically. And that's all from us this week. Uh, this week, the AgriFood podcast is produced by Euractis AgriFood team, uh, Gerardo Fortuna and Natasha Foot, with the technical support of AV Chiori. The podcast is also available on all major streaming platforms, including Apple, Amazon, Stitcher and Spotify. And don't forget to subscribe so that you don't miss the latest agricultural news from the EU. I'm Natasha Foot. Thanks so much for listening and see you next week. <laughs>